Let us pray. We pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit that the words of my mouth and the reflections of all our hearts will always be to your glory, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now we've been hearing about globalization. We've been hearing about flowers from Kenya to Camborne and we've already had a sniff of them. We've had a, a sniff of globalization this morning. But I've had another feature of this of the, of the shrinking world because um, about four years ago I was in the South Sudan, which is sadly much in the news at the moment because of their um, internal conflicts. They've more or less been in civil war for about now, with, a, with short gaps, more than 50 years. And if you, if you fly to, I don't know whether you could, can cover this, if you fly to Uganda from here, you fly to Entebbe from England, it's quite a long haul, but you don't notice from airport to airport very much difference at all. It's when you leave Uganda and fly only, only a few hundred miles north into the Sudan and you're going back 50 years in development terms because of how terrible the strife has been. But one of the interesting things about the shrinking world is I was uh, travelling around as a bishop. We had a link from the Diocese of Salisbury with the Sudan and so I was out there fostering the link. And of course, I'm a rather conspicuous white person. And in the local language, um, the word for white man was mono. But because all these children had much better smiles than us, we were sort of waving back and saying stereo. Um, <laughs> but wonderful, wonderful welcome. But it was an absolutely no shared language at all. And so I thought, well, how do I connect with this particular village? Because everywhere we went, suddenly a hundred children would appear. So how do I connect with this? So we were doing sort of, you know, aeroplanes. And, um, and we were doing um, cows. And I discovered that across the world, children who had never seen a television all knew how to do the Morecambe and Wise Give Me Sunshine dance. <laughs> I started it, um, skipping through the village, and a hundred children joined in as though they'd always been doing it. So, but, when we, but in the, thing, the thing about being in the Sudan, it was the first time I actually picked a banana straight from the herb rather than the tree. <laughs> um, but it was the most remarkable thing of all was um, the archbishop uh, who's still there, um, Archbishop Daniel Dengbul, um, who, knowing that with the separation of the north and the south of the Sudan, which was tough enough, but realising what was simmering under the surface in the south, he publicly and every day commits himself to reconciliation. And very recently, the Archbishop of Canterbury uh, was with him, and they went to, uh, to Bor. Uh, if you've been following the news, Bor is where the, some of the worst massacres have happened, and Malakal, um, Justin went with Daniel to these places and literally bodies littered around the road, by the side of the road, nobody able to do anything about it. And in the midst of that, uh, Daniel, uh, standing there in the midst of his carnage, not looking, to, not looking whom to blame, but praying for reconciliation, um, 
in this terrible situation. And the thing about reconciliation, about being transformed through reconciliation, is not that A beats B and B ends up being subordinate to B. It's that God takes A and B to an entirely new place together. And that's what, when we're thinking about that fifth mark of mission, about transformation, it's, it's something that for human beings is really hard. Because instinctively, we want to win. We want to be on the winning side. But that's not how it is, how it is with Jesus. If you notice in Jesus' exchanges, even with the Pharisees, people on the whole whom he admired, maybe with whom he'd studied, what Jesus refuses to do is to define himself over against people. He defines himself over against evil, about over wickedness that people do, but he doesn't define himself over against anybody. And I'm sure that one of the reasons why people so much wanted to kill him was because he wouldn't do it. He said, love your enemies. And one of the things that people hate most is the people who reveal to us how we should be. So no surprise that people should want so much to do away with Jesus. And this brings us to this, to the, this wonderful insight we're given into the transfiguration. Now, because lots of biblical scholars... Um, for a while took the view that somehow the transfiguration story has got into the wrong place in, in the gospel. But it's really a resurrection story, um, a resurrection appearance of Jesus that's somehow been brought forward. Um, this, is quite, this is quite wrong. <laughs> the whole point of the transfiguration, which we are celebrating today, uh, the Sunday before the beginning of Lent, is precisely that Jesus reveals to his, his closest friends the true glory which he has laid aside for a time, the true glory of his perfect nature as the Son of God who has come ready to face all the consequences of our sin all the consequences of our alienation from the Father, all of our griefs, our hurts, all the things we do when we know we shouldn't do them and we don't want to do them, that his friends see the glory he lays aside in order to be with us. In order to be, you know, we know that we're not up to it, but we have a God who is down to it in Jesus Christ. So Jesus takes his friends up to the mountain and they see what the true expectation of, the, of the, not only the coming of the Messiah but the, the, of God's summing up all things. That there's Elijah and Moses, the expectation that these prophets would be there as witnesses to the final conclusion of all things as God brings everything together. And what does Peter decide to do? Well, it's a bit like, you know, the Queen coming to visit. And somebody said, um, mm, well, Your Majesty, there's a little tent in the garden. Would you like to go and sit in there? What, what Peter's trying to do somehow is domesticate the scene. It's just too big, too big to contemplate 
that God would reveal himself to human beings like this. That he would make his home with us. And in making his home with us, sending, sending us out to be at home, wherever we're placed, because uh, there is no place where uh, we need not be at home, um, because he is with us. And this seems to me to be at the heart of what it is to understand this fifth mark of mission. As we've heard from that wonderful psalm, an expectation, a deep trust, a deep belief in the sovereignty of God that God is in charge, that God is great and that in him we have nothing ultimately to fear. That um, if we have this great big God, and I'm very pleased to see so many people doing the actions, otherwise I'd have felt more embarrassed than I did, <laughs> um, that if we have this, this great big God who is sovereign, who... Uh, whose kingdom we believe is growing like a mustard seed, uh, growing in secret, but like that tiny seed will grow into a huge, I hope that is a tree, <laughs> but that we, if we trust in this gathering of the, ki of the kingdom, it's worth believing in because, um, as Philippians 2 reminds us, that Jesus the Son comes and lays aside his glory, becomes the servant of all, and is prepared to, <clears throat> to accept the bonds of the cross in order that we might be free. Now, um, I was just thinking this would be a wonderful window to have some stained glass in it, Matthew. So, you know, <laughs> add, it, add, it, add it to the list, will you? <laughs> When um, you say, oh, the bishop said, well, there are people saying, no, you might have done. Um, but um, I was in a church with a, a mod, some modern stained glass, and it was a, a picture, as it were, a representation of the transfiguration. And um, with uh, Jesus with his, his hands out in, in greeting, and as the light from the outside, the sunlight shone through this window in a particular way, you see all the wounds of Christ lit. The light coming through all of the wounds of, of Jesus. And that's in a sense what, we're, what we have the foretaste of in, in this picture given to us of the transfiguration. It's not that it's a displaced story. It's to say that if we want to see what God is really like in, God's, in his glory, in his unconditional, overwhelming love and unutterable forgiveness, then what we see is that glory revealed on, on the cross. Um, one of the things about Lent is that we're preparing for Good Friday, that we're on a journey I think it's in Luke chapter 9, 52. Jesus, it says, it says, Jesus turned his face to Jerusalem. Now it takes him quite a long time to get there. But the beginning of Lent is about our having this, this vision of Christ's glory on the mountain is we're turning our face towards Jerusalem with Jesus. 
we know what he's going to for us and for everybody. But this is our journey with him too. It's our journey to the cross. When I was a vicar uh, a long time ago, uh, people would come to church on Palm Sunday. We have a donkey. It was all great fun. And they'd say, bye, vicar. We'll see you next Sunday. And I said, what about Good Friday then? Oh, no, that's too sad. That's too sad to come to church on Good Friday. We'll see you next Sunday. <laughs> people only wanting, you know, donkeys and eggs. <laughs> and no cross. Well, it won't do. It just won't do. Um, the the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus are not somehow separate events. They are one event. Um, That the victory of Christ is a victory wrought through the cross, the gateway to life for all of us. And that um, everything... We we pray that in Lent, as we do more fasting, perhaps than usual, um, we make more efforts to set aside time for prayer, we do all of this with a happy face so nobody sees... I mean, I was, after Christmas, I went, um, a friend of mine had a very serious knee operation, and she's very house proud. So I went for my uh, Christmas break to do some housework. Oh, dear. <laughs> Not something I usually do. And at one point, I did text my housekeeper and say, Vivian, I salute you. <laughs> but, of course, there's no merit in my, my having done that work, because I've been telling everybody. Because <laughs> the thing about Lent is, of course, we're keeping quiet about our fasting, you know, we have our, keep, keep our face washed. Um, but we are orientating ourselves for that, for that experience of Good Friday so we're not among those people who pass by. We're the people who are prepared to wait at the foot of the cross so that everything brought on Calvary can be applied to our heart. And if that is going to be true of us, then we are going to be agents of transformation in our society, like Archbishop Daniel. We are going to be people who are prepared to wander around Morrison's purposefully, looking out not just for coffee and tea and bananas, but we are looking particularly for bananas, and we're particularly asking for organic fair trade bananas. Um, But we're looking looking out altogether... (laughs) for ways in which we can play our small part in growing justice and mercy and peace. And we do this in this community. We do this where we honour and, and recognise um, older people who often feel lonely and, and um, neglected or left on the shelf, nothing left to offer. In fact, you know, I come across some very elderly people quite regularly and encourage them uh, that they say, well, I used to be a very active Christian. I used to be able to do lots of things. Now I can't. I say, well, you're probably awake in the middle of the night because of your pains. That's the most important time to be praying for people who are in despair. That's the time of night when most people who think about suicide are thinking about it. So be a prayer warrior. (laughs) We serve justice as we work in this community um, welcoming people who um, may suffer from any kind of mental illness people who feel they just don't fit and that so every time we say to somebody you are not a stranger because God loves you and we will look for God in your face 
then we are serving transformation in our community. And sometimes that's costly. But it's required of us. It's called out of us by God's earnest, earnest call. Because um, if we want to serve the marks of mission, all those f- the five marks of mission, then we say that, well, if, if God has created the world, he is sovereign, that he, his purpose is to complete all things in Christ, then um, we should not be afraid to challenge the unjust structures of our world, the structures which keep people poor so that other people can be rich. Um, I'd be quite pleased when bishops and other church leaders um, write to the Daily Mirror and have a go at Cameron um, about uh, what the application, not so much what the welfare reforms themselves might be, but how how they are cruelly applied. These are things where it's not so much that, you know, we as Christians often get get attacked as being people who are so heavenly-minded we're of no earthly use. But the point about living out this, particularly this mark of mission, is to recognise it's precisely because we're heavenly-minded, because our eyes are on the glory of the coming of the Lord, precisely being heavenly-minded is what makes us of earthly use. About makes us the people who are ready for change. And that's only possible because just as the light shines from that window, revealing the glory of Christ in his wounds, that we are called to make ourselves vulnerable, called to be people who give ourselves away that other people uh, might live. It's the only way to be um, a follower of Jesus. And if that means... You know, one of the things about doing those songs is, um, uh, and the submarine, is that even I have to get smaller. And um, because I'm so big, I try to spend as much time on my knees as possible. That's quite good, bishops saying their prayers. But actually, um, being on our knees, um, living out the humility of Jesus, is the best perspective for seeing the world, the world that God has made. One last thing. Um, you may have noticed that we've got a bishop here. We've got Matthew and, and we've got Linda. And uh, it's, very, it's very interesting that you have called uh, two Anglicans to be your ministers here. But can I say, and this may sound a bit paradoxical, paradoxical, my saying it to you, please don't be too Anglican. Um, one of the things... <laughs> there's no fear of that. <laughs> Did I hear a did I hear a voice over? I'll have a hug later. Because the important thing is one of the things, one of the most one of the blessings about being being Christians here together in, in Camborne is the way in which you exercise that humility together. Uh, not to become a sort of melange, you know, just create your own denomination, but the way in which you honour the the, the constituent denominations that have provided the foundation for Camborne, um, go on being that diverse and outward-looking fellowship, which is uh, seeking to use every theme, every avenue uh, of Christian discipleship and history to apply to being a community of people 
there were signs of the glory of Jesus resident here in Camborne, a glory that is like a golden skein through everything that is your life. And trust that because God is sovereign, uh, there's nothing that you can't do in Christ's name. Amen.